Matthew chapter 22. We're going to begin over here at verse 1. Let's go ahead and read the parable first, at least the beginning part of it. And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding. And they were not willing to come. Again, he sent out other servants, saying, Tell those who were invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it and went through their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious, and he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good. And the wedding, the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away, and cast him into outer darkness, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Now this is a parable that Jesus told after he told the ones we looked at last week. And that was about the wicked vine dressers. That was about how they were given a vineyard and all the things that were there and they didn't treat the vineyard very well and they didn't give the fruit to the person who owned it. They leased it out. And so he came and sent servants and they didn't listen to them and beat some and killed others. And then he sent even his, uh, well, he sent more servants and he did the same. Then he sent even his own son and they killed them. And so he asked the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and those uh, among the leadership, what do you think that he'll do? And of course, they pronounced judgment and said, well, he'll come on down and get rid of them and give the vineyard to other people. And they said, that's exactly what God's going to do. He's going to take it from you folks and give it to another. We looked at the parable of the two sons. And this is all told about the Pharisees because they questioned Jesus' authority. And Jesus said, I'll answer your question as to where my authority comes from if you'll answer me a question. And they wouldn't answer him. So he said, I won't tell you where my authority comes from either. And then he went on and began to tell this one and began to expose how evil this leadership was. And he wasn't finished after talking about the parable of the wicked vine dressers. That wasn't plain enough. Then there's the uh, two sons, one who did the will of the father after saying no and the other one who did not after saying yes. That also was to pinpoint them. But he's not done yet. And now we have the parable of the wedding feast. How many of you know this sounds very much like a, another parable? Mm -hmm. This is not a different rendition of the other parable. This has nothing to do with the other parable. The other parable is told in a different place, in a different time, and to a different audience. So there is no way it can be a, a rendition of this one. In the other parable, it, the emphasis is on the wedding. On this one, the emphasis is not on the wedding. It is a wedding feast. It is called a wedding feast. And that is about the last you hear of the wedding. 
The emphasis here is not the wedding at all. The emphasis, the focus here, is on the feast. That is what this parable is about. It is about the feast. So we're not going to get into the other parable that Jesus told about a wedding feast. We're going to look at this one. Let's again go through here. And we're going to first off look at the invitations. Now, in the parable itself, you will see three different invitations. But I wrote in your outline four. There's a reason for that. There are four invitations. Only three are spoken about. But there is a fourth. I want to read this to you. The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited, invited which means there was a first invitation. Mm-hmm. We're just not spoken about much about the first invitation. first invitation was simply, my son's going to get married. I want you to come to the wedding feast. But that was about it. We, how many of you all have uh, heard you know, an event going on? This is going to happen. And, you know, like the graduation time. You know, my son's going to graduate. My daughter's going to graduate. Oh, great. Well, we want to be there for that. But we don't know when. We don't know what time. <laughs> we just know it's coming. Right? And that's really what the, the first invitation was about. It was, it's coming. I'm not, I'm not sure when, and I'm not sure what time, but it's coming. So the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. Now, we all know who the king is. God the Father. We all know who the Son is. God the Son. And sent out His servants to call those who were invited to the wedding. And they were not willing to come. They had been invited. We're now close. The wedding is at hand. And so He sent out the invitation. The wedding is at hand. Here's the day. Here's the time. Come on out. Oh, I don't know if I can make it then. Now I'm kind of busy on Fridays. Got some things going on on, on that one. But, you know, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. So this is the first invitation, which was a general one. The second invitation. I put the first as being inferred. It's a general invitation announcing the event, but without all the details of the exact time. The time frame of the first invitation is the Old Testament. Where did the invitation come from? The prophets. The Old Testament prophets is is where it came from. They're the ones who went out and they were the servants. They were all out there saying, Isaiah was out there saying, Jeremiah was out there saying, David was out there saying, there is a feast coming. There is a wedding coming and there will be a feast associated with it and we want you all to come. So they knew it was coming and even when Jesus, in Jesus' day, who are they all looking for? Messiah. Messiah. We're looking for Messiah. The second is given when everything is ready and it's time for those invited guests to come. The time frame of this is the time of Christ. And it's not met with a whole lot of response. Now, before we go further, let's take a look at this in, in context with the other parables because this certainly helps us. Jesus is now on His third parable. And with this, we had the two sons. We had the vine dressers and we have this particular parable. The two sons is about one son who said, I'll go and do what you ask, but then didn't. And the other one, other son said, I'm not going to do it. He's in open rebellion. I'm not going to do it. But then eventually he went out there and did it. And what you have there is a, is a setting of two different, not only two different types of people, one who reject Christ but then come back, and another who, who say, yeah, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and do that, and then don't follow through with it. You also have a type of, of two nations, the nation of Israel and the nations of the Gentiles. 
Israel was the one who said, yeah, we're going to do the will. But when the time came, they didn't do it. And then you had the Gentiles who outright refused, rejected Jesus, rejected Christ, rejected the gospel. But then in the end, came on over there and, and came along. We have the vine dressers. The vineyard was given to the nation of Israel. And in the, in the parable, it is said that this vineyard would be given to another nation. And the New Testament says that the church is a nation. We are, we make, the church makes up a nation. We are the nation that it was given to. And so, again, we are comparing the nation of Israel with the Gentile nations in both of those parables. Well, again, we're going to have the same thing here. We haven't left really that scene. Those that were invited were the Israelites. They were the ones, the prophets came, the prophets announced, the prophets were out there to get them ready. And when the time came, they said, you know what, we're just a little too busy right now. We don't really want to come. So he sent out the, the second invitation, which was when everything was specific. Somewhere around the time of Christ, we can assume that this one went out. The servants had gone, gone through to announce all this sort of thing. And who are some of those servants? Wouldn't John the Baptist be some of those servants? Wouldn't the, the ministry of Jesus? The ministry of the apostles? Yeah, but John's disciples, they were out there doing things too. All these folks were out there during this time and announcing, and what, were, what kind of response were they getting from the nation of Israel? You know what? We're not real sure we want to come out to this feast. We've got some other things going on right now, and eh, not real sure about wanting to do that one. So in verse 4, again, he sent out other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. Now here's an urgent call. The feast is ready. The feast is on the table. This is like when you were little. I don't know how it was for girls. I know how it was for boys. I grew up. The whole time I was growing up, I was a boy. You know, you know mom holler outside. We're playing hockey out there in the street. Mom holler outside. Come on in. Dinner's ready. All right. One more goal. All right, let us finish this game. <laughs> you know, because that's where we're into the game. I mean, it's, I, I, was, I was a boy who could eat most of my life I could eat. When I was a teenage boy, I could eat, out-eat just about everybody else in the house combined. All of them together could not eat as much as I could eat. I could eat a lot. And when I, when I was growing up, when I was doing a lot of running and cross-country stuff, oh my, the stuff I had told you my folks said, but they said when they sent me off to college, they actually saved money. <laughs> it was up to them to feed me from that point on. Because I could eat a whole lot of, a whole lot of uh, food there. But even despite that, you're into the game. You're into whatever it is that's going on. Now, you know, if you're cutting the lawn, something like that, okay. <laughs> you drop what you're doing right there. Come on in and get something to eat. Why in the world would you keep on cutting the lawn when you could stop? But, you know, the, the uh, hockey game's going on. Or if we were playing football, we were down the park. We were not in earshot of mom hollering out that, you know, but we were supposed to be home by a certain time for dinner. And uh, somehow it just didn't go on us that it was that time. And you just keep on going. Just kind of not, uh, not sure of the time. But then if we're out there playing hockey or somewhere out there, you know, nearby, and that call came out, dinner's ready, and, and we didn't make it in in five or ten minutes, what was the next call? It was an urgent call. Dinner is on the table, and you will get yourself in here now 
It is time. And of course, we all realize that's a, not a tone that you should ignore or any such thing. The greater repercussions would be there than finishing out the game and such things as that. So the third call is an urgent call for the peace is ready. And this time frame was from the initial period all the way up until the little bit after the Pentecost, sometime after Pentecost. Because Israel was given this urgent call. The feast is here. The food is prepared. It's on the table. It's getting cold. Y'all need to come on out here and eat something. Come on out to the feast. And they still came back. Not only were they busy with other things. We have one group that was busy with business. One group was busy with other matters. Let's go ahead and read that, that part of it. But they made light of it. And went their way, one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. That's not so good. Well, what happened with Stephen? Stephen was one of those that was, that was killed. What did Paul go out there and do? Paul was out there killing Christians, doing things. Of, they were given the urgent call, the feast is here. It is on the table. It has, it's getting cold. Come on, get out here and, and partake of it. Then they weren't hearing it. From the time that Christ left, Pentecost had come and they were going out preaching to the, to the uh, Jews. Because Jesus said when He ascended, who were they supposed to take the Gospel to first? Go into all Jerusalem and all Judea, the uttermost parts of Samaria, and then into the uttermost parts of the earth. He gave them a progression of where they were supposed to go. And so they were following that progression. But as the persecution came, they didn't just stay in Jerusalem. They began to go to other places. And pretty soon you saw that the church of Jesus Christ had two basic heads. The first head was the, the head of the Jewish part of the church, which was centered in Jerusalem. And the second one was the Gentile part of the church, which was centered in Antioch. Paul, being a Jew, was part of which, which uh, group? Antioch, mm-hmm. even though he was a Jew. Mm-hmm. He was part of the Antioch. He really didn't have any association with the Jewish part. In fact, he even said, you know, they, they had nothing to do with me. I really had nothing to do with them. And they got their own authority, but I'm out of here. I'm out of Antioch. And he had no real, real dealings with the, the uh, Jewish part of the church. He was part of the Gentile part of the church. That's where he took his, his message to. So the time frame here is the initial period after this till Pentecost. And so they came and they beat some of them and they killed them. And so in the parable, Jesus says, what's the, uh, what's the dad going to do? What's the king going to do? He's going to send his army. He's going to send his army out and kill them and burn their city. Well, what happened after Pentecost? The Roman army came, burned their city. The Roman army was not the army of God. That's not the army, Roman army is not God's army. God's army involves angels. But the Roman army was the one that was used. And the angels went out there and basically took a hands-off policy for Israel and didn't defeat them or didn't help them or any such thing as, as that. And their enemies were able to storm them and that they did. And the city was burned. And they were taken out of their land. And then he goes on. And says, all right, we've uh, taken care of all the people who were invited to the feast. They didn't want to come. 
Then he said to the servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. <laughs> those who were not invited were not worthy. That's an interesting phrase right there. Interesting statement. How many times do we Christians think that we are not worthy? I would like to come to the feast. I would like to come to the, the thing that God has going on, but I don't know that I'm worthy to come. But really, the only thing that made you worthy or unworthy was a willingness to come. That was it. There was nothing else that made them worthy. The only thing that made these folks unworthy was their unwillingness to come and their unwillingness to accept the servants. And then they went and beat the servants, killed some of them. That's what made them unworthy. Also, the ones who, who went off in their own business and didn't come out, they also were made unworthy. But apparently they were plenty worthy before because he invited them. So before we ever get an idea that we are not worthy of the things that God has for us or the things that God wants to do, we must remember the only thing that makes us unworthy is not coming. Not showing up. That's it. There isn't anything else that makes us unworthy. Show up! <laughs> Boy, I tell you what, we can come up with so many different things. Oh, I had such a bad childhood. Oh, I had a bad this. Oh, this wasn't so good. Oh, I did this. But Paul even goes out there and says, man, among sinners, I was chief. I was one of the worst ones. I was killing people. Well, if Paul made it in, if he was worthy for the feast, guess what? I think we're okay. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. Are we concerned with qualifying them? Whoever you find. If you find them, get them. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good. They got them all, bad ones and good ones. It didn't matter. They brought them in. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. The goal was to fill the wedding hall with guests. That was the goal. That's also the goal of the other parable. Even though they're different, that was their goal as well. They wanted to fill up the wedding hall. And they also went out to the highways and byways and compelled them to come in. So they go out there and... Now, notice, Jesus is making up this story. I always tell you that about parables, but you always got to remember, he, he, nothing about the story is handed to him. Everything about it, he put in it. It's his story. So when he says they went out and they found those that were bad and those that were good, apparently those that were bad, it was okay that they came in. And those that were good, it was okay that they came in. He invited them all to come on in. And when the king came in to see the guests, I have from the Greek that actually he came in with a specific purpose to see the guests, to inspect the guests, to look at the guests. He saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. Now, a wedding garment is simple. When you came to a wedding, the wedding feast was about whom? The father giving the, the, the wedding feast? No. The guests that come to the wedding feast? It is all about the bride and the groom. That's all that it's about. So what they would do in these is they would provide you with a garment. So that everyone who was a guest wore the same thing. If you do that, if everyone is wearing the same thing, who stands out? The bride and groom. This was the goal. Now, how much better would that be if our weddings had that? You all didn't have to figure out what to wear because when you got there, they'd be giving you something. 
Didn't matter what you had on. You got t-shirts and a jeans, jeans on. You just showing up there and you throw the thing on. It's kind of like graduation. Graduation, everybody's dressed the same, right? No, they're not. Some of them have, uh, well, I saw my son's uh, uh, attire there. I'll have to wear, uh, the boys have to wear blue shirts or white shirts and ties and slacks and shoes. And the girls have to wear dresses, skirts and blouses and shoes. No sneakers, no jeans. Of uh, flip-flops or stuff like that. So there is, but there is a restriction there. But all that you can really tell of what they're wearing is the shoes. That's it, because they got the the gown on. They got the gown. And you covers everything up. You can't tell whether they got a white shirt on, blue shirt on, dress on, blouse on. You can't tell. That's the idea here. Everybody who comes to the feast is wearing the same thing. So this is going to force you to be able to recognize. Oh, that's the groom right there. I didn't meet him before, but that's obviously him. He's not wearing the same thing we are. That's the bride over there. They're not wearing the same thing. Of course, in our weddings, it's pretty easy to pick out the bride. <laughs> groom might be a little bit tougher, you know, the, the groomsmen and stuff like that, but the bride's usually pretty easy to pick out. But here, it was easy to pick out both of them because they were given this. Now, they were all, these were all large households. They were fairly rich, and I don't know if they had a, you know, a, a, a rental place. You just go out there and, and rent the, the gowns or whatever it was or... But however it is that they did it, this was how they set it up. When you got there to the wedding feast, you showed up and you say, size 9, size 32, uh, whatever size it was you were going to put on, you just showing up there and say your size, and they would give you something. Maybe a small, medium, large. I don't know what it is. You know, whatever sizes they had for these things. They weren't to be all t- tailored fit. They weren't supposed to be, you know, uh, fit all that well. They just some, something that you'd put on. Much like a cap and gown they would wear for graduation so you come on in and you have this in and so the guy comes on out the the father comes on out and looks around looking at the guests wedding hall was filled with guests when the king came in to see the guests he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment so he said to him friend that's a normal uh, way that you would introduce yourself if you came up to somebody you didn't know this was a very customary word to use now this verse, verse 12 and verse 11 are huge in this parable. Do not miss these two words. So he said to him, Friend, how did you come here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Now it sounds very similar, verse 11 and verse 12. But verse 11 and verse 12 are very different from each other. In verse 11 we have a particular Greek word used. And I put this in your outline so that you could see this. In verse 11, the Greek word is the word ooh. It is a statement of fact. He did not have on a wedding garment. It is simply a statement of fact. There is nothing else about it. It just merely says he did not have on a wedding garment. That was it. But verse 12, when the giver of the feast, the king, when he says, talks to him, he does not use the word ooh. He uses the word may. This word is a statement of rejection. It suggests that not only did he not have it on, but that he did so intentionally, of his own will and premeditation. That is what that word means. If he didn't want to use that word, Jesus didn't have to. He could have used the word he used in the sentence before. Obviously, Jesus knew the word because he just used it. (laughs) So it's not a mistake that Jesus changed words. 
But in the English, we don't quite have that simple of a, of a word for it. So what he first says is he comes in and comes in and he noticed a statement of fact. The man does not have on the garment. But then when he talks to the man, how is it that you outwardly rejected putting on the wedding garment that I provided for you? And the man was speechless. Well, what would you do <laughs> if, if the man just called you on it? Everyone else, now think about this. Everyone else here at the feast is wearing this stuff, is wearing this, these wedding garments. Everyone is. It's no different. But then you come on in without it. It's kind of like, you know, if you show up at a place and it's a black tie affair. As they call them, black tie affair. You know, that kind of sets, you, sets up what you, the ladies are supposed to wear, what the men are supposed to wear. And you come in in blue, blue jeans and a t-shirt. Do you not feel funny? Would you not want to say, oh, you know what? I don't belong here. I need to go home and change. <laughs> I need to do something. Wouldn't you feel that way? It's just like, no, yeah, I'm, I don't belong here with, a, with blue jeans and a t-shirt. But this guy not only feels like he belongs, he sits at the table, reclines, puts his feet up, whatever it is, you know, partaking of the feast, enjoying himself. And the head guy comes in and starts looking around at the guests and notice right off the bat. I mean, it's not hard to tell when one person is dressed differently from everyone else. It's kind of like Sesame Street. You remember watching that with the kids? Which one of these doesn't belong? And they got the whole song. And of course, it takes them so long to sing the song. You're thinking, I had this minute, I had this a long time ago. What are you talking about? Come on, we can figure this out. Mm. He outwardly rejected putting on the garment that was provided for him and went into the feast. Now, understand, he wanted anybody possible to come on in. Anyone who wanted to, anyone who would accept the invitation come on in. We had the first group of people, they turned it down and they became unworthy because they didn't show up. Ah, but then this group. Go out there and get them all. And we brought in the bad ones and the good ones. And he does not come up to the bad ones and say, wait a minute, you're bad. <laughs> you don't belong here. Once they put the garment on, there is never a distinction made amongst the group between the good and the bad. Once they put the garment on, the only distinction that is made is between the one who did not put it on with any intention of not putting on with the intention of rejection, rejecting the will of the one providing the feast. He was set apart from all the rest of them. This is the guy. In Isaiah 61 and verse 10, it says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. Christ has clothed me with the garments of salvation. When we come to the feast, we have been provided with the garments that make us worthy to be at the feast. Amen. Isaiah 64 and verse 6. But we are, all, we are all like an unclean thing. And all of our righteousness are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind, have taken us away. So if I show up in my own clothes, I am showing up in filthy rags. But if I come and accept the clothes that are provided for me, then I'll, I'll fit in fine. I'll be fine. And Jesus is using this terminology from Isaiah in His parable. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on 
Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24, And that you put on the new man, which was created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. Colossians 3 and verse 10, And I put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. There is a putting on that we need to do. We need to put on what has been provided for us. I don't have to make myself good. I can show up the feast whether I was good or whether I was bad. But what I must do is accept the garment that He has provided for me. Now, as we told you, the wedding here is the occasion. But it is the feast that is the subject. It is not the wedding. Now, as soon as we hear wedding and, the, and Jesus Christ and the Father setting up the wedding, what is it instantly that we think of? When we think about going to heaven and the whole ceremony that's provided for us of the wedding of the, of the Son of Man, the wedding of Jesus Christ with the bride, His church, don't we all instantly think about that? This is not what is in mind here. And here's how you know it. The wedding feast for the marriage of the Son of God and the church of Jesus Christ is that present day or is that future? It is future. Because it is not going on now. He will present us. The, the feast is future. The, that feast, that wedding, will take place during the tribulation. But it's not taking place now. Right now they're all sitting up there waiting for the, the bride to be completed. The wedding is the occasion. It is the feast that is the subject here. But the feast that he is speaking about here is a feast that people are already coming to and enjoying. So that cannot be the same feast as the one that we think of with the wedding of the son of the man, even though the occasion is the wedding of the son is the son of the king. Because in this particular parable, he is speaking about a feast that is prepared and that people are eating from. And that he came in and rejected a certain one because they, they weren't adorned with the garments. Can you get into the wedding feast of the Lamb? Can you get into heaven without garments? You're not only rejected at the gate, you don't even go in the right direction. <laughs> I mean, it's, you're, you're gone. It's a, it don't happen. Now here the feast occurs first before the wedding. That's how they did things like that. The feast began at the time of the second invitation. So it's not futuristic. It, is, it was already going on. So what does this feast consist of? Because this feast is consisting of something that we are already able to, to partake of. It's already going on. Because understand the purpose of, what's going, of what Jesus is saying here. We had the first off, the parable of the two sons. Then we had the parable of the vine dressers who were working in the vine in the vineyard and didn't bring the fruit and then were thrown out. We had the first groups that were invited to the feast. It was already on the table and then the city was burned. Was Jerusalem already burned? Did the army already come? It did, didn't it? It came. The Roman army came, knocked them out in 70 AD. They were deported. They were taken out of their land. They were put back into it uh, of, of recent time, but they were out of the land all that time. This feast is going on now. So what is it that has been prepared for us? What is it that we are supposed to be enjoying? What is it that we are supposed to be, be doing now? And what is it that these garments provide for us? Because the garment 
is necessary to get into the feast. And if you don't have the garment on when you're at the feast, guess what happens? You get put out. You're not going to be at the feast for too long. In fact, we didn't even finish that verse. Let's go ahead and finish that verse before we finish that thought. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot. Take him away and cast him in the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. How many are called into the wedding feast? Everyone. Everyone is called. How many actually show up? Only a few. More can. In fact, he's not. there's nothing in here that shows he's stopping them. He said, bad, good, bring them all in. All they need to do is come on in, put on the garment, and come on into the feast. That's it. But in order to get in here, you've got to accept my garment. My garment is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. If you accept that garment, the feast is yours. Come on in, enjoy the feast. Doesn't matter if you had a good past, doesn't matter if you had a bad past. What matters is that you come on in and you take the garment, you put on the righteousness of Jesus Christ, you put on what He's provided for you, and you go on. So what does the feast consist of? What is it that we are supposed to be enjoying now? Well, we go through the New Testament, we find out some of the things that have been provided for us that... The, the prophets came and alerted us to. The people came. We go back into the ministry of, of Peter and Paul and John and James and the apostles and all those that came after them and the things that they began to teach and the things they began to do. What were they preparing us for? What were the kind of things that they said, here, these are available for you? Well, one of those things is healing, isn't it? Well, that's part of the feast. Come on in and enjoy some of the healing. The authority of Jesus Christ. That's another thing that's there. We have the authority of Jesus Christ. Were the disciples able to go out and use that authority? Absolutely. Were other people trying to use that authority? Did we not have the seven sons of Sceva who went out there and decided to go ahead and partake of the feast, but they didn't have on the... They didn't have on the garments. What happened? They all jumped on them, beat them up, said, Paul we know, Jesus we know. We have no idea who you are. <laughs> Apparently, you don't have a garment on, we don't got to listen to you. Ah, amen. Right? Amen. <laughs> How about the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Is this not part of the feast that was, that was being talked about? The part of the feast that people were being prepared for? Part of the feast that the Old Testament prophets said, hey, this is what's coming. Didn't Joel talk about this kind of thing? Then Joel announced that, hey, in the end times, this is what's happening. The latter rain is going to be poured out. These kind of things are going to be going on. Here it is. The gifts of the Holy Spirit. Isn't this part of the things that the apostles were going around teaching about? This is part of the feast. This is part of what we're to partake of. Have our righteousness. Operating in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Absolutely, that's what the garment's all about. Have our victory. Is victory part of the feast? And to qualify for victory, how good do you have to be? <laughs> it doesn't matter because the good could come, the bad could come. All you had to do was put on a robe. If you put on a robe and you showed up, if you showed up and you put on a robe, you could be at the feast. Isn't that good? Amen. Yeah. Just get the idea of Golden Corral. Get the Golden Golden Corral, that's right. You go up in the Golden Corral and you go in there at night time. And they have steak on there. Is there any law about how many steaks you can have? No. Is there any law about how many vegetables you have to have with each steak? No. Thank God. <laughs> now, when you go in there, they don't say, how many, how many pieces of steak did you have, Jim? Two. That's too many. You can't have any more. We've got to make sure we have enough to go. No, that doesn't happen, does it? 
If you want two pieces of steak, you go up and you get a second one. You go up and you get a third one. You go up and you get a fourth one. And never does anyone ever stop you and says, hold on a minute. How many, was, what number is that for your plate? <laughs> plate number four? Come on now. Do they do that? Well, if we have enough sense to know the golden crowd doesn't do that, how about at the feast of Jesus Christ? How about the feast put on by the Father? How much victory should you have? Well, you already had two victories this month. Uh, it's kind of, you know, you're kind of taking, hogging it off for yourself here. You know, it's, uh, it isn't quite right. I heard somebody talking about, you ever heard this uh, thing that was made? Uh, somebody made the statement, I don't remember who it was anymore, but somebody made the statement that uh, some people ought to be satisfied with making, a, after a certain amount of money, you ought to be satisfied and stop making money. Did you hear somebody say that? I forgot who it was who said it, but somebody went out there and said, you know, after, uh, after so many millions of dollars or whatever it was, that you ought to be satisfied and stop making more money. And uh, somebody was using that, but they brought it up an example. I never heard this example before. But how many of y'all know the Rockefellers? How many of y'all know the Rockefellers have a lot of money? Well, one person said that the, uh, whoever the main Rockefeller was, I, I don't remember what his name was. Uh, and I'll tell you what, the Rockefellers do have a lot of money. I can personally attest to that. Because we used to, where I went to college, was about two and a half miles from the Rockefeller estate part of the Rockefeller estate. Understand the Rockefellers owned a lot of acreage. They own most of Terrytown. <laughs> oh, we love the fact that the Rockefellers have a whole lot of money because we would run out to the Rockefellers estate. It was 2.5 miles away from campus. And then we would run on, on, the, on their uh, uh, horse trails. They had horse trails going for acres. And we were always exhorted, be careful to stay on the the course that we tell you about because they would take us through and for all us rookies you know i remember on my rookie year going on through and you follow somebody you make sure you follow someone you don't want to get lost back here it's not that they want to chop your head off if they found you it's just you don't want to get lost then they told us a story this one guy he um, and he was still on the team when i was there and they told a story about him he went out there one time and he went on his own and he went running and he missed one of the turns and they estimated that he came back about 30 miles later. Just kept running. Just kept on going. Eventually he made it back. Oh, but I'll tell you what. Once I got spoiled running on the Rockefeller property, almost nothing else worked. Oh, it was great. You got on the Rockefeller property and you were on these things. I mean, you were running on trees all over. There were no roads. There were no cars. There were no sounds. There were just waterfalls and creeks, and shaded areas, and you could just get lost in the beauty of this whole thing. It was great. And then they get thrown off on some other spots. They had some money. We only, we never even saw one of their houses. You know, we'd run two and a half miles out there. We'd run about eight, nine miles on their property. We're running back home. And running eight, nine miles on their property. We never saw it. Never saw their house. Just kept on running and running all the different places. And we had a couple of different routes. We didn't just have one route on the property. We had a couple of them that we would run and never even saw their house. It's just huge, huge area. But I heard something that, and I, I, I just heard it uh, recently, like the last day or two. And someone was saying that, uh, I don't know who they were quoting, but there was somebody who quoted, some, some uh, lady had written an article, and she said that the Rockefeller, whoever the main one was, again, I don't know, should have been satisfied with the amount of money he made and stopped making money in 1847, I think is the date it was given. 
I think that was the date that was given for, for the thing. And then this person went on through and said if, I don't know, J.D. Rock, whatever the guy Rock, whatever it was, if he had been satisfied with all the money that he had made at 1847 or whatever the year was that they gave, he said that the things that would have been affected, he said, first off, you know how why we count oil in barrels? Because that's how they shipped it. They'd actually ship it one barrel at a time. Put a barrel and then stack that barrel up and another barrel and stack that up. And uh, J.D. was the guy who came up with the idea of shipping it on railroads in oil tankers. And they would fill up the whole oil tank in the railroad car, put it full of oil and shipped it and dropped the cost of gasoline. And I forget what they said, but it dropped the cost of gasoline substantially so that people who were buying gasoline were able to do so. Kerosene. He got into kerosene. And he took the cost from 90, this one I remember, from 97 cents a gallon and got it down to seven. Seven cents a gallon. So the people all over the place were using kerosene. Now, you know what that effect had? Now, how many of y'all, if you're paying 97 cents a gallon for kerosene and it dropped down to seven cents, how many of that would positively infect you, affect you? Even though J.D. Rockefeller is making money off of it. But they, he said, beside all that, you know what they were using for oil instead of kerosene at 97 cents? Whale oil. And so the U.S. had a huge whaling, whaling fleet and they were killing whales by the thousands and using the oil to burn the lamps because it was cheaper than kerosene at 97 cents. But because of what J.D. Rockefeller did, even though he was making money off of it and made more money than he needed, I guess, he, he actually stopped the whaling industry because there was no reason to go out there and kill the whales and get the oil because kerosene was undermining it all. So we went, And they're just two of the things that they went on. I'm thinking, man, if you put some thought to it, you could probably find out some more things the guy did. <laughs> Helped out. Now, I don't know if he's a righteous man, if he's a religious man, if he's a God-fearing man, or if he uses money for God at all. But you know what? It benefited people who were God-fearing. It benefited whales. <laughs> they benefited from it all. <laughs> Yeah, they did all kind. They did some good things with their money too. Maybe some of the kids that came up afterwards, maybe they didn't do as much good things with their money. I don't know. But that's really not for us to decide, is it? Well, there's a feast here. Going out there and enjoy the things from the feast. Enjoy the things from the feast. Take as much as you want. Don't get satisfied. If you only, you know, if you got satisfied, you're out there making some money for the kingdom, and you're satisfied with a million dollars. All right. If you're not satisfied with a million dollars, I guess you can go to five million. If you're not satisfied with five million, what's stopping you to go to ten million? Is there anything in the Word of God that says, well, you know what? Ten million is kind of the limit, guys. After that, it's just frivolous. It isn't there. Go out there and get the money. Put it to work in the kingdom. Do some good things with it. But the feast isn't limited. It's not limited. You can have as much victory as you want. You can have as much righteousness as you want. You can have as much healing as you want. You can have as much authority as you want. You don't come before God and say, well, you know, I was just healed last week. I don't know. It's coming back again. I don't know if I should do that. This is part of the feast. This is what the righteousness, this is what the garment provided for you. Come into the feast and enjoy the feast. This feast is going on now. Maybe it's an appetizer to the one that's coming up. But... <laughs> 
It's going on now. Get in there and enjoy it. So we have healing, authority, gifts of the Holy Spirit, righteousness, victory. How about fruit of the Holy Spirit? Is there a limitation on that? Now we got gifts of the Holy Spirit, fruit of the Holy Spirit. Enjoy all that you want. Get out there and, and take it on. It is the robe of righteousness given to us by Christ that gives us the opportunity to enter and enjoy the feast in this life and the one to come. It's His righteousness that has done it. And in this feast, good and bad people were allowed into the feast. Didn't matter what your past was. Didn't matter where you came from. Now, once you got into the feast, I think a certain amount of behavior was expected. You know, you don't go out there and keep living like a sinner. Change it. Don't mean to change right away. But you accept the garment. You accept, you know what, Father? What my will was, I'm not going to live up my, to my will. I'm going to give in to your will. And I'm going to receive that garment of salvation. I'm going to receive that garment of righteousness. I'm going to receive that and I'm going to go your way. Don't be like the man that was in the room and rejected. Didn't just not put it on. Didn't just skip by that part. He outright rejected. I'm not putting that on. I'm going to go into the feast, but I'm not putting that on. There aren't. There is not room for people to be at the feast who don't put on the garment. Amen. And that's what he's out there to tell you. The feast is here. The folks that were originally invited, they decided to reject it. You know what? You got all the rest of us in. <laughs> Not that we couldn't have made it in anyway. We saw that Jesus ministered to Gentile people as well. As well as Jewish people. But He said, first off, you go on out and you take the Gospel to the Jewish people. When they reject you, when they will, you then take it out to the rest of the world because they're the ones that are going to accept it. So once again, Jesus gives another parable about the same, same thing. Now after this, the Pharisees got mad. They were mad before. They got mad now. They said they went away and they said, all right, we're going to find some way to trap him in the things that he says. And that's when they came back and asked him the question about taxes. Is it rightful to pay taxes to Caesar? And Jesus had the great answer, yeah, give me a coin. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you what. what, a, <laughs> what a, don't try and mess with him. And of course, they kept trying to do that. And then finally, he says, all right, I'm going to ask you a question. That's when he got into that part with David. He said, if David calls... The, the Son of God, Lord, how is it that He's David's son? And they couldn't answer that one. <laughs> and they said, you know what? We're not going to ask this guy any more questions because he makes a fool out of us. <laughs> He's asking us questions that are, oh, man, we ask him questions. He comes up with these answers, but we can't do a thing with the stuff he gives us. And so they weren't going to do it anymore. But here he did a, uh, this other parable. And again, it was directed right at the leaders because this is the group of people who were going to reject Jesus Christ. They were going to reject him. And the, but the feast was ready. The feast was there for them. It had been predicted. It had been told about. They were given plenty of ample warning about it, but they decided not to go after it. And with this one, he concludes this little section of parables that he has here. Father, we thank you for the word that you give us. We thank you for the feast that has been prepared. We're not just looking forward to a feast that is going to be going on up in heaven. Father, we're in the midst of a feast now. And there's all kinds of things on the table. And no matter how many times we say, pass the meat, there's always more meat there. No matter how many times we say, pass the mashed potatoes, there's always more mashed potatoes behind. No matter how many times we say, pass the bread, there's always more bread that is there. No matter what it is that we want, Father, there's plenty of it. Amen. It does not run out. Amen. This is the great feast. This is the feast that has been prepared for many, many, many people. We are not going to run this feast dry. 
And we thank You for all the things that have been prepared for us to come and to enjoy. And all who, who come, whether good or whether bad, can enjoy all they want to at the feast. All they need is the garment. And we thank You for it being provided by Jesus Christ. That we can wear His righteousness. We can wear the robe that He's prepared for us. We give You the glory for it. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.